Hi, and welcome to the Most Important Podcast. I'm your guide, Sinjin, and this episode is going to be about death. Now, death is one of the most uh, interesting topics I've ever studied. It was my favorite topic in college. I had a class called Death and Dying, so this will probably not be my only podcast about death. But today I'm going to talk about my near-death experience that I had when I was nine years old. And I'm also going to talk about another near-death experience that I've read about that really interested me because it had similar components to the near-death experience I had. I want to talk about what happens when we die. Uh, If we go on, is the end of the physical body the end of everything there is? If there is something more, I wonder if the same thing happens to everybody who dies or if it's different depending on what you believe. And I want to tell you, in fact, that science doesn't actually know when death occurs. They only know once it has occurred. And what I mean by that is that they don't know where what makes us who we are resides. For example, pain can be felt by animals. It can be felt by humans. It can be felt, it can be programmed into a computer model. We could upload our consciousness into computers. So they don't really know what consciousness is and if consciousness is all we are. Currently, the scientific community has decided that complete brain death is the highest standard where they're, when people can't really decide if someone is dead or not, like if their heart is still beating, if they're breathing, but there's a flat line in the brain. They've decided that the complete brain needs to be dead, not only different sectors of the brain, but the brain, the spinal cord, that entire area needs to be dead. 49 of the 50 states in the United States have agreed to that. Now, in New Jersey, they allow people who have religious beliefs to adhere to this cardiopulmonary standard, which allows people who may technically be brain dead to continue to live if their heart beats and they can breathe because people who may not believe that people are made up of flesh but instead of spirit riding around in a fleshly body may believe that the spirit is still present and they want that body to be kept alive as long as possible. So those people have a home in New Jersey even though their body may be toast. In every other state, usually, the cardiopulmonary standard is adequate. Stop breathing and your heart stops beating. 90% of the time, you're dead. But they're not sure all the time, you know, because sometimes people come back from that. That's why people sometimes wake up in the morgue. That's why sometimes people's hearts stop. They stop breathing. It appears that they're dead for a couple of minutes, and then they come back. And many people who've had that experience have had near-death experiences. Scientists will argue now, now that they have come to this more conclusive proof of death that 
near total brain death must occur for someone to really be dead, that no one has really had a near-death experience because no one has had total brain death and come back from it. However, there is someone who has had what is possibly closest to near brain death and come back from it. His name is Dr. Eben Alexander, and he is a neuroscientist, a neurologist, who experienced an NDE while he was in a coma. What happened is he had bacterial meningitis, which caused diffuse cortical damage, which is brain damage, plus extraocular motor dysfunction, which means his brain stem was damaged as well. His CT scans at the time revealed that he had global neocortical involvement. So he was about as close to brain dead as you can be. One of the things that interests me about his experience was how he described God. Because it's, it echoes the way that I would describe God. It's, it echoes the experience I had. But here's what he said. He said, it's an infinite healing power of the all-loving deity at the source, who many might label as God or Allah, Vishnu, Yehovah, Yahweh. The names get in the way, and the conflicting details of Orthodox religions obscure the reality of such an infinitely loving and creative source. While writing it all up weeks later, God seemed too puny a human word with much baggage clearly failing to describe the power, majesty, and awe I had witnessed. I originally referred to that deity as Om, the sound that I recalled from that realm as the resonance within infinity and eternity. During my NDE, I felt something so similar. Dr. Alexander and I are not alone because I found a few other people online who have described the Creator in the exact same way infinitely loving, impossible to describe with human words because it is so much bigger than human, bigger than any one religion. But here's what happened to me. When I was nine years old, we went to Gulf Shores, Alabama, which is near where I was born and raised, Mobile, Alabama. Uh, it was something we did in the summer. We went to the beach and it was my mom and myself, my older sister, her friend from school and my younger brother. And we stopped at a, it's kind of like a beach store which sold gas and snacks and they also sold floats for the beach. And one of the floats they sold was a blow up ring that had a Mickey Mouse head on it. I really begged for that that day and my mom never gave in about those things but for some reason that day she did. She gave in and she let me get it. I didn't really need anything like that. I was an exceptional swimmer, as was my brother. We were both what they classified as dolphins at the YMCA where we took lessons and were on a swim team. But the interesting thing is that because I was such a good swimmer and I'd never used anything like the ring before, I didn't really know how to play with it. So my brother and my sister and her friend went off to swim where we normally do in the deep area between the shore and a sandbar that's a little ways out from the shore where there's only an inch or so of water covering 
a bar of sand. So that's normally where we would swim, is in this gradually deepening area. And we would swim out to the sandbar, or we would float and ride the waves in the middle, and then come back to shore. So they went off that way. And I stayed really close to the shore to try to practice in the shallow area with this float. And as I was on belly, basically, with this thing, trying to figure out how to ride it, I didn't notice how close I had gotten to the shore until an incoming wave went over my head and I got sucked out by the undertow, which is what they called it back then, but now I think they call it the riptide. And I was pulled out very quickly, so quickly, and I was up and down, head over heels, couldn't tell which way was up, being pulled very strongly, not able to get my bearings because the float around my waist was very discombobulating as far as my balance or knowing, pulling me this way and that. And all I could think in my head was, after my initial panic was, I can't breathe, I can't breathe, I can't breathe. And then I didn't need to breathe anymore. I was out of my body and I saw my body kind of go rolling away underneath me, under the water. And I was out of the water and I could see my mom on the beach. She was reading her paperback on her tummy, laying out on the blanket, because that's what you do in the South. You go lay out on the beach and get sun. And she hadn't even noticed I was gone. And as I was seeing her, I realized that I did not have feelings for my mom. And when I say feelings, I mean, when you look at someone that you love, you may not be aware of it right now, but you do have physical feelings for that person. And those feelings are generated by your physical body. So when I looked at my mother and didn't feel those normal feelings, I realized I wasn't my body anymore. I was something else. I was dead. I knew that in that moment. I knew I was dead. I had that thought. And yet I was still there. And around that time, I mean, I noticed that I was surrounded by this music, this sound. And the way I've always described it is that if you've ever heard an incredibly beautiful piece of music or seen something, some kind of art that has moved you to tears or seen a film that's made you cry because it was so beautiful, anything that's like moved you to tears out of beauty, that is what it felt like when I heard that music. It was so beautiful it almost hurt. And it filled me with such joy, such absolute joy. And I completely forgot about everything else. And I just was listening to this music and turning towards it. And as I did, I noticed that I was being pulled in this direction, this, toward this light. And this light developed into a being and it's impossible to describe this being with human words because it diminishes, <laughs> it's hard to say it, but it diminishes what I saw because humans are small, we're small compared to what I saw. We're, we are small, compressed into a body that is physical. And what I saw was so huge and extraordinary. Even we do not 
we are not the same outside of our body. Our, when I got sucked back into my body toward the end of this experience, my body felt different. It felt like it, it didn't fit anymore. It felt small and ill-fitting. So even we do not look the same when we are out of our body. But this being was so much bigger than me, so much more than me, that I was humble and, I don't know, in a way I was horrified to know that this being loved me. I felt it so intensely that this being loved me and welcomed me and knew me and was so delighted to see me and embrace me and wanted me there. And I felt like I was coming home. It was a wonderful thing. It was the most amazing thing. I was just so happy. And that's around the time that I got sucked back into my body. And I was not happy. <laughs> I was not happy to go back. <laughs> and the person who resuscitated me was my sister's friend, who actually has lifeguarding skills. And she had seen the blow-up Mickey Mouse on the sandbar farther down where I was in front of my mom. And she had come down there and found me attached to it. And so what had happened is that Riptide had dragged me all the way out under the water to the sandbar. And she was able to resuscitate me by sitting down on the sandbar, which only had like an inch of water on it, and pump the water out of my lungs and resuscitate me. And I had puked up water and my throat was so scratchy with salt water and I started crying immediately and swam back to my mom and told her what happened and she just patted me on the back and said no no you're okay nothing happens <laughs> and I just kept crying until I kind of petered out but she didn't believe me at the time but uh, as I continued to talk about it over the years she finally believed me and it's uh, it was such a life-changing experience because I have never been afraid of death since then Never. And I have always felt this intense connection to God and known that I was loved, that there's a reason for me to be here, that we owe everyone compassion, that this is really the main thing, and that is that there is nothing to fear while you are alive if you know in your heart of hearts that nothing can destroy you, nothing. That even if your fragile human body is destroyed or hurt or injured or someone hurts you emotionally, it's not, it's not gonna destroy you. You are loved beyond belief. You will recover. You uh, will, even if someone kills your body, you will survive and you will be happy happier than you've ever been. You have such an amazing thing to look forward to. And I think every religion has the same basic message. And that's the same thing I have said since the beginning of this series, and I'll continue to say, do not hurt yourself and do not hurt others. And if you follow those two rules, you will be happy. Next time I'm gonna talk about the soul itself. I hope you'll join me. Don't forget to like and subscribe.